Welcome to the Keep Growing at UF podcast. I'm Kara. And I'm Brandon. We are trainers on the UF HR training and organizational development team. Training and organizational development has identified key skills that faculty and staff can develop as individuals and as leaders. The Keep Growing podcast will present some of our team's trainings in an audio format so that you can listen and learn at your convenience. Is stress your friend? I know it sounds strange, right? Stress is an unfortunate part of life that we all experience to varying degrees. While it may seem strange at first, having a strategic approach to managing stress can result in a more productive and healthier you. And that is exactly what today's episode is all about. This webinar was originally presented by Courtney Moon and Yusuf Alwadi on July 22nd, 2020. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so nice to see so many of you on for our webinar this morning. Uh, again, some familiar faces, which is always nice, and uh, some new names I don't necessarily recognize, but I'm happy to, to meet you virtually today. For those of you that I don't know, my name is Courtney Moon, and I work with training and organizational development, and I'm very excited to be joined by my colleague Yusuf today as he answers this question for us, can stress be our friend? Um, I, I don't want to give any spoilers, so I'll, I'll let him definitely uh, answer that question for us. Uh, this webinar is part of our Keep Growing series and our goal is to provide really useful and relevant information as we navigate some of the uncertainty of the, the times that we find ourselves in. And I know that you will enjoy the session today. I've had an opportunity to have a sneak peek of it before and found it extremely useful and applicable to, uh, again, all of the, the different challenges that we're currently facing. And I know you will as well. So I'd like to take a, a moment to introduce my colleague, Yusuf. He's our health promotion specialist for UFHR. Uh, if you've not had an opportunity to, to work with him or take advantage of some of the, the programs that he's responsible for, um, I can tell you firsthand, he's uh, not only a, uh, a, a great resource, has a lot of knowledge in the space of, uh, of wellness and work life. Uh, but also is, again, just a, a very talented colleague, so we're happy to have him with us today. Um, Yusuf received his master's in public education in 2015 from the University of Tennessee and worked for the health department for a short period of time before he moved back to the University of Tennessee to build their employee wellness program, which is now a central uh, part of campus resources for them. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have Yusuf join our team here at the University of Florida in 2018, and he continues to add advocate for the, the health and wellness of the UF campus community. So welcome everyone, welcome Yusef. I'll go ahead and turn it over to you to uh, give us an introduction of our webinar today. Perfect, thank you so much. That was very kind of you, Courtney. Um, welcome everyone. So today's session is really gonna be focused on really understanding kind of stress, how it reacts with our bodies and really things that we can do to, to shift our mindsets and um, uh, around kind of what stress is and, and how it impacts us, but also really talk about some of the resources that we could do firsthand to reduce the stress that we may be experiencing. Um, so uh, most of the presentation today was adapted from The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonnell, um, a wonderful um, author. Um, her book is The Upside of Stress is a, a wonderful resource that I highly suggest if you're interested of learning more, <clears throat> excuse me, learning more about this. Um, my mouse is not working. Okay. So a couple of questions to get us started, um, and you can do the um, the hand emotion or the the clapping if you will. Um, so who amongst us has experienced some stress? 
And you can also just answer this uh, within yourself if you, if you wish to. And so I would say fairly most of us experience some sort of stress. If, if you're alive at some point in time, um, you, you've got to experience a little bit of stress and that's fair. Um, and so who amongst us feel like they've, they've been experiencing uh, a lot of stress? Okay, a couple more. And so another question that I want to ask is, uh, do you believe that stress is harmful, harmful to your health? Okay. And then the last question that I want to ask in this series is, um, and you can kind of answer this within yourself because some of the answers may be a little bit private, but what are some of the causes of your stress? What causes your stress most often? And the answer to this question will be key to some of the questions that we'll answer um, later on in the, in the presentation. A lot of responses. Thank you very much for, for participating in that. Um, and so lastly, and if you have an opportunity to put your answer in the chat box, in the chat box please um, answer, how calm do you feel right now? On a scale of one to 10, one being not stressed at all, completely calm, and 10 being completely stressed and not calm at all. Okay, we'll get back to that here um, in, a, in a few. <clears throat> so I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about a case study um, to kind of give set the ground for our discussion for today. And so um, this case study answered the question, does the perception of stress affect, um, uh, affect our health? Um, and so this study tracked about 30,000 adults in the United States for about eight years um, and continually checked in with them through surveys and questionnaires. Um, and what they really found was that people who experienced a lot of stress in the previous year had a 43% increased risk of dying. And so this may sound very, um, you know, scary at the, to begin with, um, but that is the results of, of this um, study. Um, however, when they dug a little bit deeper into the answers of, of why that's the case, um, they found that this was only true for people who believe that stress is harmful for their health. Um, and so what they realized was that this belief of, you know, when I'm experiencing stress, do I believe that it's impacting my health, had a, had a very key role in whether that, you know, materialized or what, whether it was something that I can get over. Um, and, they, and that was a, you know, very curious understanding. And this is where the question, can stress, can stress be your friend, really came from. And so what we realized was people who experienced a lot of stress and, but did not view stress as harmful to their health, were no more likely to die. By understanding stress a little bit more and by realizing that stress is just a component of, of our lives that we, that we experience on a normal basis, this is something that maybe motivates us um, and isn't, isn't necessarily going to bog us down. Um, it had a little less effect on us, if you will. Um, in fact, they had the lowest key risk of dying in anyone in the study, including people who had relatively less stress. 
So people who experienced a lot more stress that did not believe that it impacted their health um, were less likely to be impacted by it, even less, though, less than the group that experienced a little bit of stress. And so that was very interesting. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, why that's the case here in a, in a second. And so can, you know, can changing your belief on what stress impacts your health really make you a little bit healthier? And the answer from this case study is yes. When you change your mindset about stress and when you, strain, when you change your reactions to stress, you can change your body's responses to, that, um, to the activity that you're experiencing. And that's really the case here. By changing our thoughts on what stress is, we can change our body's response to it. So for example, if, I am, um, if I've got a, a deadline for a project that I'm working on, um, obviously that's gonna be a little bit of stressful as you're trying to meet that deadline. Um, but by, by using that stress, you know, your heart racing, your mind is, you know, running, you know, 100% capacity, um, and you're thinking and you're really focused on this one subject, if you use that stress response that you're experiencing as a way to motivate you to complete the task, then that is a completely different response than saying, oh, I feel completely stressed, I'm going to give up, um, you know, and, and just, you know, think about it for the next two or three days. Um, and just kind of dwell on the fact that you're, you're stressed about this one specific project. Um, those are very, you know, you're experiencing the same thing, but very, two very different responses for how that one same activity impacted your health. And so another kind of a way to drive this point a little bit home is this uh, social stress test. Think about it in this way. Pretend that you're a participant in a study. Everyone that's here in this presentation is a participant in a study. Um, and I'm telling you now that this study is designed to stress you out as much as possible. So you're already well prepared. You, there's no tricks to this. There's no gimmick. Um, you will be, you'll be stressed when you're, you're getting into it. This test includes uh, two parts. The first is you come into a lab and with COVID-19, let's assume this lab is here, the Zoom session. So we'll put your camera front and center for everyone to see. Um, and you're supposed to give an impromptu speech on your personal weaknesses to a panel of experts. Um, another way to think about this is imagine you're in a very important job interview and they ask you what's your greatest weakness. And so some of us may have that generic response that you're, you've you know, perfected over the years and, and some of us may you know, have to think about it. But when it's an impromptu speech, you know, five to 10 minutes to talk about this one specific thing that you realize is your weakness to a panel of experts, that's you know, it's a little uh, overwhelming for some. Um, and the catch here is that the experts have been told that no matter what you say, no matter how you say it, they're all going to give you very negative feedback. You know, they're 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 going to you know frown, hands on the chat, you know, hands on, on their chin, and um, and they shake their heads. They're going to whisper amongst each other, just very negative feedback, so that you kind of begin to doubt yourself. Um, I don't know about you, but this is already stressing me out, and I'm just pretending to be a part of it. And then the second part of that's the second part of that um, uh, this this experiment is a 30 minute math test. And so um, math is tr traditionally one of the harder subjects for most of us. Um, and because of that, it's already hard enough to do if you prepare for it. Um, imagine having to do that with, um, after going through an, an impromptu speech with a very uh, difficult and mean panel. Um, many of us won't, won't get that right. And so, um, and, and part of uh, the discussion, if we were in a room, I'd ask everybody to count down from 100 by seven and see how far we get before we ended up making mistakes. Even though that's a very calm and relaxed environment, we're all gonna end up making a mistake at some point. And so 
I want you to, to kind of live that moment and think about what would be your result. How do you think you would do in the part one of that test where you're being told to do an impromptu speech about your weakness? Um, and then how would you do if on, on a math test? What if we were to ask what's, you know, eight times seven, what's 12 times 13, what's, um, can you do the square root of 16? What would you think your results would be? Would you think that you would just completely ace that? And if you do, that's wonderful. Um, but if not, really think about why that's the case. If you don't think that you'd be comfortable doing that, why is it that you weren't comfortable and what would be your body's response to the entire interaction? And so for most of us, um, it's probably gonna be a little stressed out. Your heart may be pounding a little bit. You may, be, you may have sweaty palms. Your um, mouth may get a little bit dry as you're, as you're you know, going through and doing this, the, the, the presentation and your speech. Um, your, your breathing may be a little bit faster and, and you kind of may be breaking out in sweat all over your body. So that's, that's a very natural response to um, a stressful environment for, for many of us. And these are all signs of stress and anxiety that we would experience normally. And that, that's, a, that's a fair point. So one of the things that they did in this experiment and that we would have done is we would have had two groups, one that were told exactly what I told you and they went through, but the other group would have been prepared a little bit more by saying that, think about these responses they're told what the responses would be. They're told that, that your heart would be racing. Your breathing is gonna get a little faster. You may have sweaty palms. You may start breaking sweat you know, um, in your body. You may start um, you know, feeling a little nervous and anxious and that's, that's all fine. And they were told and trained to think about those actions and those responses as ways for their bodies to prepare them for the task at hand. So for example, they would have been told something like, the pounding in your heart is preparing you for the action at hand. Um, you're breathing faster, it's no problem. It's just getting more oxygen to your brain so you can think a little bit faster. So very simple, minute interventions that they would have done to see what, what their responses would have been like. Um, and then so participants who were taught this and trained before they went into the, to the experiment um, viewed the stress responses as helpful. So they had this positive connotation with everything that we would have assumed that was part of stress. And so all the stress responses, they were told were positive results. Um, and so during their performance, they were less stressed out, they were less anxious, more confident, and overall had better results. <clears throat> and so again, one little thing that they, we changed here was that their perception of what those stress responses are. For many of us, if you're giving a presentation in front of a big crowd, you start you know, feeling your heart pounding you know, across your chest, it feels like it's about to leap out, your mouth is going dry, you start getting more nervous because you experience these things. And because you're getting more nervous, it, you know, and then in turn makes you, your heart beating even a little bit more faster if that's possible and your mouth getting drier. And so it's just kind of this perpetual cycle of going, um, of going nowhere. Um, but by changing our perception and our belief, then we've changed how our body responds to it. And therefore we've changed how we, um, the stress impacts our body. So it's no longer something that's gonna have a negative impact on our health. It may also, you know, if, if nothing else, um, if it's not having a positive impact on our health, it's going to have no impact on our health, which is the very, um, uh, the, the very result of the first case study that we talked about. And so the reason we think about stress is, you know, it's, you know, it's this um, ancient part of our body where stress was used for um, keeping us alive. We survive because of stress. If, um, you know, uh, back out in the, in, in the, in the valleys, 
when we there were saber-toothed tigers and and all kinds of animals that wanted to kill us and all we had was um, a little spear that we made out of rocks we had to be on alert and aware when going out and so we have to be able to hear the little twig breaking 100 yards away to prepare you for what's about to happen next we don't live in that environment but we still have the same kind of responses um, we don't have we don't have what um uh what what we call motivation today is essentially just stress in a different format but because we live it and experience it for longer amounts of time you're at work for eight hours a day think about the same job think about the stressful situation for for longer periods of time than if you were to just go out hunt and come back and kind of settle in in your um in your environment so it's a uh the same mechanism that is activated by different responses and what we don't want here is we don't want to overwhelm the response system by thinking of everything as a threat and that is essentially what happens when we're stressed is we think of things as a threat and therefore we respond to them with kind of the, the different stress levels that you see here in front of you a little bit of stress is always good enough you know it's what motivates you to get out of your couch to get out of your bed to go into work and do what you needed to do um, if we had no stress and here I'm using stress defined very loosely, but if you had no obligations, no requirements, um, you know, you had no commandments to anything whatsoever, what would you be doing? Would you be coming, coming into work? Would you be getting up at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever that time, time is for, for you to get up and to prepare yourself for go, to go into work every single day? Um, maybe if you're passionate about it, but for, um, as the same question over many, many presentations before, and the number one answer that I get is I would be somewhere on a beach laying down, maybe a book in my hand and a drink in the other. And so that's kind of the number one response when I tell them, what would you be doing if you had no obligations, no commitment, no requirements, no bills to pay, nothing to worry about, what would you be doing? Um, and so a little bit of stress is, is, is fine for us. It allows us to be, um, you know, to be able to commit to something. When you have a deadline, you're more likely to commit and complete the, the job by the, by the deadline. If any of you here are supervisors, or if you are a supervisee, if you're an employee, if, if you had no deadline, when would you be doing the project? You'd probably do it you know, two weeks or three weeks or four weeks in advance, um, or sorry, not in advance, but four weeks out when you could have done it in the, in the, in the first week. So if, you know, if I don't set deadlines for myself that, to say, I'm gonna need to get this done by whatever day, X, Y, and Z date, it's not gonna happen. It's probably gonna take a little bit longer than that. But then we kind of come to the top of the, the curve here, and this is where athletes live, is this optimum level of stress where it's not too much stress, but it's almost at that peak. This is where they're able to push their bodies to do the crazy things that we see for them to break records. Um, so athletes train a crazy amount of time, um, and it, it, they put their bodies through so much. And it's not necessarily just physical athletes, but even mental athletes. So if we're talking about geniuses who are able to um, do a research study for, for you know, a, a large amounts of time and they're maybe sleeping two or three hours a, a day, um, they're able to do that because they're in that peak of that stress curve. However, the problem here is you can't live in that peak for too, you know, too long of a time. Um, most athletes, if you think about it, that's a, just a very basic example. Most athletes, although they're able to train and, and work really, really hard and they're in you know, peak human physical uh, you know, shape and size, they, they can't live in that. By the time someone reaches the age of 28 or 30, they're considered old already. 
in, in, in that field. And so they, they're able to, they, they can't sustain that. Our bodies aren't able to sustain that for a very long period of time. Um, and if we're thinking about it in, in kind of this chronic level for, for many of us, you're in a job for, you know, about the time you're, you're somewhere around your 20 to around your 60. So that's 40 years. If you're living in a job that you feel is stressful, that's a very, even if it's low level stress, that's a very chronic level of stress. And you get to this level where you're over time, it's building up. We can kind of develop anxiety. You can kind of develop um, uh, some other, you know, mental health issues um, and can result at a breakdown at some point. And so we want to avoid high levels of stress over a short period of time or low levels of stress over long periods of time because either of those will result in, um, uh, in negative health impacts on our bodies. So what's happening physio physiologically when it comes to stress? So again, like I mentioned before, so part of our brain is always on and this is what keeps us safe. Um, and so we need to calm that survival part of our brain um, by, by, by trying to reach this kind of higher access reasoning part of our brain. So, so instead of going from, you know, was, is it um, uh, flight, fight, or freeze response to maybe thinking a little bit more about what we need to do before we act on that. And so we're only able to get to that um, thinking portion of it once we've overcome the survival part. Of our brain, and so this opportunity becomes uh, is to become more skillful with calming our survival brain and, uh, down and and trying to access this reasoning part of our brain. Um, and that that's that's a very hard thing to do, but it but it comes easier with practice. And so this is really what we're trying to do is develop a, a skill set so that we can access the switch from going from just surviving to really thriving and and, and being able to think a little bit more. So another case study that I want to talk about is um, uh, is this case study that they they tried to do with realizing that stress actually makes us a little bit more social. And so we all know this oxytocin uh, is a is a neurohormone. Um, a lot of times it's uh, associated with uh, kind of empathy, love, and happiness, and it's it's something that's really associated with a, a lot of positive impacts on our body. Um, and it really is there to fine tune our brain's social instincts. So as this uh, graphic shows you here, so when two fish on our love, they release oxytocin. So, um, but when, when you're with someone that you care about and that you appreciate, both of you will release this oxytocin hormone. And it kind of gives you this calming feeling in your body. But what many of us may not realize is that oxytocin is also a stress hormone. So whenever um, our bodies undergo stress, it also releases this as part of a way, a mechanism to try to kind of fight back within, within your system. Um, but by, re by realizing that, we're able to, um, uh, you know, know that our body is also trying to help us even though it's experiencing this uh, stress levels. So your pituitary gland pumps this stuff out as part of your stress, stress uh, response. When oxytocin is, re is released, it's motivating you to seek support. And what we realized after some research, not me, I didn't do the research, but what researchers and public health experts realized after uh, doing several experiments is that people who sought help when, going un when undergoing stress released more oxytocin, therefore helping their hearts and, um, and bodies respond in a positive manner to the stress, rather than kind of isolating themselves and, um, and, and finding a way to, to kind of just relive the stressful environment and continue to kind of to, to dwell in that. Um, so your stress response wants to make you sure that you notice when someone else is in your life is struggling as well. So it's not necessarily just 
for you to reach out and ask for help, but it's also activated when you reach out to others and help them. And so this, the, the point here is that when life gets difficult, your, your stress response wants you to be surrounded by people who you care about and wants you to surround people that, um, uh, that you care about who are also struggling as well. Many of the main roles of oxytocin here is to uh, protect your cardiovascular system from the effects of stress. It's a natural anti-inflammatory hormone and it helps your body vessels stay relaxed during stress. What happens when we're stressed is our, our, our you know, blood vessels constrict. Um, and if you think about constricting blood vessels for long periods of time, that is also the cause of, of, of cardiovascular problems in the long run. Um, and what we've found is that when you're um, helping others, and it, it could be um, uh, volunteering at a homeless shelter, volunteering um, at a nursery home. Um, it could just be helping out a community members. It could be just helping out a friend. Whatever that may be for you, reaching out and volunteering and assisting others in any way possible helps you to release the oxytocin hormone, therefore helping your cells and your heart cells to regenerate and heal from any stress-induced damage, whether you realize it or not. Um, and the case study here that we want to talk about is a case study that tracked a thousand adults in the United States and, and asked two questions. How much stress have you experienced in the last year? And then how much time have you spent, have you spent helping out friends, neighbors, people in your community? And so at first they may seem like they're a very uh, different question because someone who's stressed and anxious and maybe feeling a little bit depressed isn't likely to go out and do these things, but they wanted to see what the responses would be. Um, from these two questions. And so um, what they realized that every major stressful life experience increased the risk of dying by 30%. Um, but I promise this presentation is not all doom and gloom of end on a high note. So please kind of stick it out with me. Um, but they realized again that, you know, as uh, you may have realized by now, this is not the end of here, but um, it's, this wasn't true for everyone. People who spent time caring for others showed absolutely no stress-related increase of dying. And so that's 0% chance. So you could have major stressful life experience after the next. And if you were an active person who volunteered, who helped out others, who was there for, for people around you and committed to them, um, showed absolutely no stress-related increase um, in dying because of that. And so what they realized here is that caring here created resilience. Um, and resilience is the ability to experience, you know, not just stressful life situations, but to experience some things that we may not experience and be able to bounce back uh, quicker and better than we were before. Um, and by having resilience, you can kind of mitigate this response to stress as well. So there's two things that we've talked about here so far. We've talked about the belief of stress. And so if we're able to change our belief of stress, we're able to, to, to lessen the negative impacts that it has on our body and our health. But we also talked about the perception of stress. And so if we can you know, change how we perceive the stress and how we connect with others, you can transform your experience of stress. Um, and here it's by thinking about it uh, as a way to reach out to individuals, even if you're undergoing stressful situations, if you were to go out and to help others in their stressful situation, both of you would have positive impacts because of the oxytocin that's released um, and because of um, uh, the connection that's being built. This is something that we also teach in our Healthy Lifestyle Program, and we also teach in our Resilience uh, Building Program, um, is that th these connections, these social connections, real social connections, we don't talk about 
the social media connections, but physical, real social connections, however you can get them, um, are really important in building resilience and making us more resilient, but also improving our health overall by being able, being able to connect with people. One of the biggest needs that we have um, as human beings is this need for connection. It even comes before the need for um, for food and water and, and other things that we might think are important for our existence as individuals, but it's really the social connection that's, that's the most important here. And so, again, this courage and resilience is, is, is what's um, this neat combination that comes out of this, uh, this discussion. So when you choose to view your stress response as helpful, you create a biology of courage. And so that comes from the first case study. And when you choose to connect with others under stress, you create resilience. So you've built courage and you've built resilience by changing the way you believe and you perceive stress. So the question here comes, you know, so can just changing the way that I think about stress make us healthier? The science overwhelmingly says yes in many, many studies, not just these two case studies. And so when you change your mind about stress, you change your body's response to stress. And this is the key factor here is we, you know, it's not simply the fact that you're changing your mindset, but because you're changing your mindset, you're changing your body's response to this event. And therefore, um, your body can go one of two directions. It can go and experience these um, negative, um, uh, negative uh, uh, stress-related uh, experiences, or it can have a positive experience where you're using that as motivation to complete your task, to do what you need to do, to, to come out on the other end um, much better and stronger than you were before that. And so this is a graphic kind of summarize what we want to do when you're thinking of stress. So don't think of stress as a threat. It's not um, pressure. It's not just something that's overwhelming. Um, and we don't want to focus here on the problem. Rather, you may be experiencing a stressful situation. Don't focus on the problem, but maybe focusing on the possibilities and the, of the results and the outcomes that could, the, the, the positive outcomes that could be, uh, that that could be existing. Um, and then try to not embrace the stress itself, but rather the, the journey that you're going. And so now that we've understood this, the, the next natural question is, so what do I do to, to reduce stress? What are, you know, I understand that I need to change my, my thoughts and I understand that I need to change um, my perception of stress, but that's easier said than done. And so what can I do to reduce stress in the meantime, as I work on developing those those experiences and those uh, and those habits, um, and the two best methods here are really exercise and med meditation. And when we talk about exercise, we really talk about um, all types of exercises, but mainly physical exercise, breathing exercises, and progressive muscular relaxation exercises. So either when either one of these or all of them together really have a positive impact on our health. Um, not only because they release hormones that then help us to um, uh, heal our bodies and make us more resilient and, and, and better fitted to experience stress than if we weren't not to do them, but exercise has been shown to be the number one thing people give up when they're under stressful situations. So the number one thing that helps us is the number one thing that we give up when we're feeling stressed. And so think about the time that you had a deadline to meet, think the time that you had all these overwhelming priorities that you've had in, in, in your life. The first thing to go is, well, I can skip the gym today, or I can skip the gym this week, or I can skip going on this run today or, or whenever I may, you may need it. Um, but that's honestly the number one thing that would have helped you to kind of clear your mind and have some time to just breathe and relax and, 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 and have a, a positive impact on your body. 
And we'll talk about meditation here in a second. But I wanted to do this breathing exercise for a minute with everyone. And so if you don't mind, if you want to join me in this, um, it's called a, the, the square breathing method. Um, and it's very simple. Um, we're gonna, um, for four seconds, we're gonna inhale for four seconds. We're gonna hold it for four seconds. We're gonna exhale for four seconds, rest for another four seconds, and then you know, start it back up again. Um, and so use this graphic as a guide, um, but you can also follow with me if you will. And so let me just get my timer ready here. Um, and we'll go ahead and get started. So inhale for four seconds. Two, three, four, hold it. Two, three, four. Now exhale. Two, three, four, and then rest. Again, inhale. Two, three, four, hold it. Exhale. Rest. Inhale. Two, three, four. Exhale. Two, three, four. Rest. Inhale. Two, three, four. Hold it. Two, three, four. Exhale. Two, three, four. A couple more times. Inhale. Hold it. Exhale. Now I want you to be in a relaxed position and try to inhale slowly and hold it slowly with comfort. Don't force anything. One more time. Inhale. Hold it. Exhale. And rest. One more final time. Inhale. Hold it. Exhale. Perfect. Feel free to continue, but I'm going to move on for the sake of time and for the sake of this presentation. And so I want you to respond to the first question that we that we had. Um, how calm do you feel right now? On a scale of one to 10, one being not stressed at all and 10 being completely stressed, or one being um, calm and 10 being not calm at all. And we'll go through and compare your answers to the beginning of the presentation. Um, and uh, normally when I do this in a classroom and we see that, you know, hands going up, um, you see that a lot more people say that they're feeling more stressed and less calm uh, at the beginning of the presentation um, and then um, more calm and less stressed after this exercise. And so this is just one simple breathing technique to help you rest. There are many breathing techniques out there. This is just one of them. Um, and it is one that's, that's been common um, uh, lately and, and, and has been researched a couple of times. And so what we need to realize here is that with one simple technique, we're able to relax our bodies. We're able to kind of clear our mind for just a few seconds. You're not thinking about anything except for the breathing itself. And even if it's just for a minute, even if it's just for 30 seconds, you've given your brain enough time to rest to be able to think about another opportunity that you could 
that you could have um, either to solve your problem or a way to just give yourself a break as you're trying to deal with it. Breathing is always with us, it's free. So you can breathe at any time. No one is holding you back. Even under a mask, you can, you're able to do this with complete comfort and, and no problem at all. So it's always an opportunity to shift and create calm. And this is what we need to think about is trying to find these opportunities where they may come to be able to give us a break, shift our, mind, uh, our mindset and really reframe our thinking. Um, even if it's as simple as a breathing technique. It could be that you're wanting to go out and exercise. Maybe you prefer going on a walk um, and around your neighborhood or in a, uh, on a greenway somewhere on a trail. Um, maybe it's exercising in a gym. Maybe it's a playing a sport. Whatever it is that you feel like helps you clear your mind and, and relaxes you, I want you to do that. And the reason that we want to do this is that this TFAR cycle that we're going to talk about here for a second. So um, our thoughts um, influence our feelings and our feelings impact our actions and our actions dictate our results. And then from there, our results can really influence our thought. And so this cycle, whether we realize it or not, is always going on in the back of our minds. Um, so you could think about, you know, many, many examples where you did something because you were angry, but why were you really angry is because you thought X, Y, and Z, something happened to you or you thought something was going to happen. And so, you know, there are many, many examples that we can see in our lives where our thoughts impacted our feelings and our actions impacted our results. And a lot of times what we tend to focus on is the results. We really tend to focus on the end. Um, this happened, or this is going to happen, or this is what I have to deal with, but never really thinking about what were the actions that led to that, what were the feelings that we had before that may have led to those actions, and what was I thinking before that may have led to those feelings? Because um, you can always impact, you know, you can always modify your feelings by the way you think. Um, and so I want you to kind of be cognizant of this cycle and really find ways to, to, to break that and to really circle back into the thoughts and understanding what are the thoughts that we had to impact our results. And because thoughts here in this cycle is very important, this is where meditation and mindfulness comes into play. You know, before we get into that, so four science-based resilience facts. So these are all um, uh, from, from many, many studies and, and, uh, and, and journals and case studies that we've, that we've found. Um, meditation helps reduce stress and anxiety. It helps improve your sleep. It lowers your body pr blood pressure and also strengthens your immune system. So it may seem like meditation is, is, is doing a lot, but it's really going back to this TFAR cycle where if you're able to change and control your thoughts, you can control many, many things, including the results that may have come at the end of that cycle. And so what we want to understand here is that you get better with practice. Changing our thoughts isn't really easy to do. We may think that it is, but it is not. It's something that's happening subconsciously all the time. You're, you're thinking about something and no matter how, how far you try to, to, to work on it, sometimes it just doesn't seem to work and the same end result happens. But if you continue to practice on changing your thoughts and, change, and controlling it, you don't necessarily need to change your thoughts, but really having a better awareness and understanding of your thoughts, then you're gonna have a better understanding and awareness of what the results that are gonna happen and why they happen. Um, and the, 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 this isn't really important because 47% of our time, our mind is spent wandering. And what we think about is what we become. Um, and so if we can control this wandering aspect of our mind, then we're able to control what our thoughts are. We're able to control how we feel, what actions that we take, and the results that come from that.
Um, and then if you're practicing um, any form of meditation, again, whether it's the breathing exercises as your form of meditation, whether it's another form of meditation that you're ex uh, experiencing, whether it's just time that you take for yourself in solitude to just think about what's going on, no matter how you form it and how you formulate it, it's just really understanding that this in, you know, internal introspective um, uh, thinking and, and, and thought process that you want to have of evaluating yourself, what, what's happening, what's going on around you, and kind of laying out a plan of action, if you will. Um, when our minds are wandering, that means that we've had distracted awareness. And what we really need to do here is refocus, understanding that, yes, I was distracted here, but I really refocus attention and really kind of work on sustaining that attention for as long as possible and repeat that cycle however many times you want. In any form of med meditation, whether it's, you know, you're sitting in um, your man cave in solitude, whether it's you're doing it while you're getting a manicure, pedicure, whether it's you're out on a run, whether it's your breathing exercising, whether it's your meditation, no matter what form it's taking in, where you're taking time for yourself, understanding that this cycle is happening in the back of your mind is a way um, for us to get ahead of the curve and then being able to control what's going on. So what I want you to start focusing on is focus on one thing at a time that is important for improving mental health, whatever that one thing may be. So if you have many different problems, many different tasks, try to think about one of them at a time and then move on to the next as, as much as possible. And if you find yourself, you know, you find your mind wandering, bring that back to thinking about what is it, you know, thinking about this cycle here. So what am I thinking about? And how is that making me feel? What actions am I about to take? And what results are about to happen? So you can think about it in the future, or you can think about it in the past tense, where the results already happened, to go back, think about the thoughts, the feelings, and actions that led to that result. I want you to think about here that mindfulness is the antidote of stress. When stress happens, our mind, again, is racing, our hearts are beating, our, you know, our bodies are sweating. And then these are all actions that come from feeling very stressed and, and, and our mind really uh, being overwhelmed. And so if we think about mindfulness as breaking down that, you know, the, the, the mind wandering, really thinking about and, or, and focusing our attention on one or two or a limited number of, of thoughts, then it becomes this antidote to stress. And so it all re, you know, cycles back to the TFAR cycle. And by thinking about managing the TFAR cycle, it allows us to show our best self. It allows us to overcome the survival mode in our brain and access this reasoning part of our brain. We're able to stop and think about what's going on and think about our actions and, and our thoughts and our feelings um, and the results that may come of that. Um, and then at the end of the day, because we change our perception, we're also able to change how stress is able to affect us. And so that's kind of the, the end of the presentation. I will leave some time for questions. But before that, I wanted to go a couple of more resources. If you're interested in learning more, um, we've developed a resilient gated program that's really focused on um, just building resilience, understanding what resilience is and how to build that in, in several practical methods. Um, there's also the UF Mindfulness Initiative. If you're interested in, in learning more about meditation and mindfulness, um, there's a group of scholars here on campus that, um, that you can uh, work with. Um, the, our Gator Care partners also have Beyond the Stress Ball presentation that's a little bit more about stress and how to manage that beyond, of course, using the stress ball. Um, and there's a, plenty of other resources that's on our website at wellness.hr.ufl.edu. And we're always happy to take requests for, for information or specific programming for your unit uh, or department.
Um, and so there's also plenty of TED Talks that talk about the physiology of, uh, of fake it till you make it and what that looks like in our body language and how our body language has shaped who you are and, and what that results in. And then uh, also a couple of books here that I'll leave up as we answer questions um, that I highly suggest on um, not just stress in general, but more of our, our mental health and well-being.